Romans 8, 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for Jesus, your Son, that we may now walk in the Spirit and not in our flesh. Open our hearts, open our minds to your word through Pastor Gavin, Lord. Thank you for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Am I on now? Oh, how about that? That's great. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Gavin. I'm the family pastor here at Livingstones. Parents, welcome. Uh, Kids, welcome. Tell your parents you love them. Um, And uh, I have been a pastor here for several years. Uh, I am a husband, have a beautiful wife um, who's probably homesick today, but uh, jury's out. And then two handsome, aggressive, violent boys, uh, Simon (laughs) Isaac. And uh, it is a joy to start the series with you this morning. Pastor Kyle, you might have saw him this morning as you were coming in. He's actually at the Carson City Church right now because Living Stones is a network of churches that cares for each other and uh, loves each other and partners together. And today we're starting a new series and resuming our study in the book of Romans. And we're calling this series The Greatest Chapter in the Bible. And, And the reason we're calling it that is because there probably isn't a Christian around who's read through the Bible and who got to chapter 8 and read those lines that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus and everything that follows in this chapter that wasn't emotionally connected to their faith and realized the greatness of who God was through it. And often when we go and see movies these days, we go to websites like Metacritic or Rotten Tomatoes, and we're looking for two things, like what did the critics say about this film, and what do audiences really say about this film? Like the critics are saying, oh, this is great, and all the audiences are saying, this is terrible, this is the worst movie ever, don't go, you'll be depressed. Uh, Romans 8 is, is the section of the Bible where so many people before us who were in Christianity read this and said, this is one of the greatest chapters of the Bible. Uh, and then many who read it today find joy and comfort and are shown the gospel and how God loves them deeply and dearly. And that's what we're going to start today. So we're going to spend this next month looking very closely at this passage. And my hope for you as we go through it is that that same joy and hope in who Jesus is and his love for us would affect you. And that as together, we can follow God more closely and more personally than ever before. And if you are brand new to Christianity or or faith or anything like that, this is an opportunity to show you what is at the heart of God for those that believe in Christ. So that's what we're looking at today. We're going to begin in verse 1, and we're going to go a little slow at first, because in that we also have to go back and look at what Paul said in the previous seven chapters. But I promise I won't take more than a couple of hours. So um, the 11 o'clock's coming in, they're like, what is going on? And I'm like, 
Come back. Um, just kidding. So verse 1 says this. Oh, and before I begin, this is my main point. I, I discovered that you can add espresso shots to coffee. Um, and, and so it's, it's like I've rediscovered coffee for the first time. So, um, so today, today, here's my main point. We're going to redeem a saying that has been used as a curse word, which is that this whole sermon is about uh, the sake of Christ, for Christ's sake. So today's main point is for Christ's sake, we are saved. And the main points under that are this. First, we have forsaken God's law. Second, for Christ's sake, we are loved. Third, Christ died for our sake. And finally, we live for his sake. So those are the four points today. That the main point, we're redeeming the statement for Christ's sake. And the first is we've forsaken God's law. For Christ's sake, we are loved. For Christ's sake, Christ died for our sake, and we live for his sake. So let's read verse 1 together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're going to stop here and unpack this. First, what is condemnation? Um, that's not exactly something that we throw out in our, like, our, our normal day speech. It is judgment plus sentence combined. And so think of it as a, a crime that someone can be judged and, con- and condemned, sentenced all in one moment, even if that condemnation hasn't happened. Uh, and so that is what condemnation means in this context. So this first verse says that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but that does mean that previously there was condemnation, that from God we were judged and sentenced. Why? Why is there condemnation in the first place? And so when you see here the word therefore, therefore is a linking word that says this is in context of what we've already said. So that applies to the whole book of Romans, but also specifically to chapter 7, and we're going to look at both of those. So first, what has Paul and through, and through the Holy Spirit, Paul said through the book of Romans? And it's this, that God is the creator and sustainer of all things. And in Romans 1, it says that even to people who aren't familiar with the Bible or Christianity, that his attributes and his power and his beauty is visible in the creation that we see. Additionally, that we as his creation, and especially humans being created in his image, have an idea of the goodness and the perfection of who God is and the standards that he has called us to to live. And the Bible calls these things God's law. And it says in Romans 1 that we uh, overtly reject God's law in every way. And then when in love, God gives us specific examples what his law is, like the Ten Commandments that we read at the beginning of the service, that we reject those as well and, and ignore them completely. Romans 3 then says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and the Bible's a tricky book because when you read words like all, it, it actually means all. It means that everybody has fallen short of the glory of God. If you say, Mother Teresa, no, all. Uh, what about this other really good person I know? All. What about Grandma? Love her cooking, but all. Like, all have fallen short 
of the glory of God. And because of that, we are condemned by the law of God. And so God's solution from our condemnation is to make us right before him. And he does that through faith in Jesus Christ. And in chapter five, it says that we have peace with God through Jesus Christ when we believe in him. And in Romans six, it's wrapped up and says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of life is given to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so freedom from condemnation has already been laid out in the book of Romans, but it's incredibly important to understand that we are condemned for forsaking God's law. And that it's almost, in a way, a good thing if you believe in Christ. And here's why. We live in a world with competing values and moralities of what it means to live. Um, That's why Facebook makes everybody so angry. Because, like, either you watch a video or an article or something like that that says, this is the rule that you should be living by, and you realize you don't, and so you're depressed. Or someone disagrees with what your view of what morality or values should look like, and so you fight with each other on Facebook. And, and God, as the creator in his Ten Commandments, the first thing that he said is, I am the Lord your God, you will worship me alone. And what he's saying there is, I don't like being put on a shelf with other gods. And I don't like my rules to be put on a shelf with other rules. And so I, God, am the good am the true, am the beautiful. His very name means I am. Like I am all of those things. And when he gives us his law, what he's communicating to us is that these supersede all other value systems. These influence all other good value systems. To break this is to break the divine law of the cosmos. And, and we might have a problem with that, um, but here's the thing. I have a house with a mortgage, um, like many of us here, or or maybe you're renting. And if we skip paying our bills to our lender or to our mortgage company, eventually they're going to foreclose on your house. Now, in that situation, it's not going to work to call the mortgage company and say, I know I haven't been paying the bills, but I exercise four times a week. Um, (laughs) And I'm really nice to people, and I am a responsible pet owner. So, can you take care of me? You would say, no, like, give me your house. Um, because, because in that situation, that's not important. It's not important that you've kept all those other good things. You've missed the main point. Or let's say we have a friend who's angry at us, a best friend. You're not going to fix the problem and say, hey, I know you're mad at me, but look at how well I treat other people. Um, yeah, that... That is going to cause a fight. If you're married, that's really going to cause a fight. Like, that's just not going to work out. And and so what we're looking at here is if God is saying, my law is the law, I'm the source of good. And if we come to God and say, well, look at my other awesome works, but they don't line up with that, and they don't, that's the whole purpose of the book of Romans, then it doesn't matter. And some of us, when we get critical, we might say, well, I don't like that. You know, I really feel like the most important thing is is like, yeah, there's 10 commandments and there's ways that we're supposed to worship God. I just think we're supposed to be kind to our fellow man. But the problem is, is that Romans 1 set forth the case that because we are God's creation, we were built to be tethered to God. And when you ignore that and take the tether off, what starts to happen is 
you have nothing to base your life on. So you shift from opinion to opinion to opinion, and you have no rock to set your value system on. And, and if you take that to its full logical conclusion and go where Richard Dawkins goes, a prominent atheist, and say, well, you know, this is what I see objectively, like if we're kind and treat our fellow men, then society will be better. He would be in disagreement with another philosopher who said, actually, I think that some men are more superior than others and that we shouldn't be treating the disabled or the lesser with kindness and should actually be limiting them or removing them from society. And if Dawkins said, well, I don't agree with you, what does he have to back up his claim? Nothing. His own emotions, his own feelings. Like, I'm not saying that Dawkins is wrong in that. What I am saying is that he has no foundation to where he bases his morality. And neither does Frederick Nietzsche, the other philosopher that we talked about. But this is prominent in our society. We're, we're led to believe that if we follow this morality or that morality, that we will be sane and whole. But the reality is, God is the foundation of the good, the true, and the beautiful, and he's the one that we're supposed to follow. And if we've broken his law, then we are far more condemned than we would have been under anyone else. So that's a problem. But if the person who created that good and perfect law is also the one who offers the way to forgiveness, then it also means that aside from all the condemnation and guilt that you feel about everything in your life, there is a way to escape the condemnation of God. There is a way to be free and forgiven of the worst judgment that's been passed against us. And so to embrace that we're lawbreakers is actually to embrace the one who can set us free. That's what this is about. That's why there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And so first, you have to know that you have forsaken the law but that in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. But this does lead us to a problem because even if you're forgiven in God's eyes, you may not feel forgiven. You may still feel like you are condemned. You might still feel like there is a grievance between you and God. And it's for the very good reason that it's not like when you become a Christian, all of a sudden you're perfect and you don't sin anymore you find that even though you want to follow Jesus, that you are unable to. And Paul talks about this a few verses before this in Romans 7. And this is really what the therefore is for. I've, this is verse 21. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now Paul is saying this as somebody who follows Jesus as a Christian. And he points out what we see. I want to follow God, but even when I want to and I try to, I look at what his law says and there's something in me that turns that into an opportunity to sin. How can we know that God loves us when even after he has saved us, we fail at following him, not to mention everything else in our life that we fail at? And this was my biggest struggle when I became a Christian. 
I, I thought that I needed to follow God now, and, and I, he saved me, and I believe that he saved me, but now, in this moment, I find that every single time I go to do what God wants, maybe I scrape by, but usually I fail. And, and I was, I was, I became a Christian at a young age, so like I yelled at my brother, like I, I disobeyed my parents, I fought them, um, I, I engaged actively in lust. Like all of these things were, were true, and I, I read this and I said, yeah, Christ saved me, but he hates sin, so what do I do with that? And that's the world that Paul enters in, that yes, we have forsaken the law, but for Christ's sake, we are loved. For his sake, we are loved. So let's read Romans 8, 1 and 2 again. Therefore, in light of the fact that we still find ourselves sinning and breaking God's law, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There is absolutely no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, there, look at the power of that statement. First off, it does mean that outside of Christ Jesus, there is condemnation. You, you must follow and believe in Jesus. And if you're here and you don't, this is my invitation for you to do that. Because some of us in this room, the heaters have kicked on, so now it's a little warm. But let's say it was cold in here, like a few minutes ago. And, and we, we looked around and we saw people wearing coats. They were in coats. And some of us weren't wearing coats. We were out of coats. We, we wouldn't say, look at how toasty warm we are because we are all wearing coats. Because our eyes would say, that's not true. We're not all wearing coats. And we would also not say, because Robert is wearing a coat, I'm wearing a coat even though I'm not. Like, that, is, that sounds ridiculous, and you're like, where are you going with this? Here's where I'm going with this. Um, the passage says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But to believe in Christ Jesus, oh, we're all condemned. We've all forsaken the law. There's nothing inherently better about a Christian. Probably most of the time we're worse. Um, but those who are in Christ Jesus... There is no condemnation. Christ is a coat that guards them against the condemnation of their soul. Now, this, look too. This doesn't say there are no mistakes. This doesn't say for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no mistakes. This doesn't say there is therefore now no sins for those who are in Christ Jesus. What it does say is there is no condemnation, guilt, shame, reproach, backtracking of the love of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because those who are in Christ Jesus are united with God. For the first time since we rebelled and sinned against him as a species, those who are in Christ Jesus are reunited with our creator. And this is because like, he has done the work. And this is a huge topic. When people look at you and you're inside something, they say that person is in a car, that person is in a jacket, that person's in a house. When God looks at you, he sees Christ first because you are in Christ as a Christian. The first thing he sees when he looks at you is a perfect son. God has done this by sending his son and, by, and through his spirit, which we're going to talk about in a couple of verses. But for now, 
I want to spend a lot of time on one word in, in these two verses, and that is the word you. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now, normally when Paul writes a letter to a church, and, and Paul's letters comprise roughly two-thirds of the New Testament, uh, which is the, the latter half of the Bible. When he writes to a church and you see the word you, it's the word for y'all or you guys. Um, like, you guys have been saved. You guys have been justified. Like, you guys. Like, I'm coming to see you guys. So, <coughs> this is the only time I can see that Paul uses the personal word you when he's not addressing a, a single person. Which means for our purposes that when you read this, you individuals read this, you are supposed to read this passage personally. Like Pastor Shea, when he reads this, he's supposed to read this passage, Christ Jesus has set me personally free through the spirit of life from the law of sand death. When I read this, it's Christ Jesus has set me free. Me personally, like yes, he saved the church, but here God through Paul is saying, you, you have been set free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation. This is huge because it's important to understand that every action that God has made to save us is deeply personal on his part. The, the sentence, it's not personal, it's business, that doesn't exist for the God of the universe. He takes all of his actions very seriously and he is personally involved with his creation and he is especially personally involved with the people that he loves in genesis 1 it says the spirit of god hovered over the waters of the earth before uh, everything was created and the word used there is the same word for a hen sitting on her eggs personally involved in the first three lines of the bible god discloses himself by speaking the God of creation is a God who speaks, who immediately in our, our knowledge of who he is, communicates about himself, wants to communicate about himself. And to Moses, when he was giving his name to Moses, he gave him his personal name that was to be used by his people. And so when you believe in Jesus, God takes the personal action of making us in Christ Jesus. And so it's easy when we talk about forsaking the law and God saving us, it's easy to picture a king who, who sits on a throne and issues decrees that affects us. Uh, and, and there's truth to that. But God is also so personally involved that it's as if to save us, Jesus personally wrapped his arms around us and saved us. Saved you. Wrapped his arm around you. Like in Christ. You are loved, so loved by the God of the universe. Look, with that, first, you can never say when you're in Christ Jesus that God is frowning on you. When you're in Christ, he absolutely does not. First, he's the one that's actively involved in saving you. He's not doing it with a frown. Like, you know how sometimes 
you're upset that your kids are like taking your precious free time away from you or you get a text from a friend that's like, hey, can I borrow something? And you're like, oh, I guess I'll help you. I'm going to drag my feet this whole way. And I'm going to make it clear that I'm displeased by helping these people. Um, that, that is not what God does. God did so freely, willingly, and because of the joy set before him, he went to the cross. His joy wasn't set on himself his joy was set on, on his own glory and on saving his people. And, and because of that, he did everything for us personally in joy. But also, it causes us to look at where we might be putting our identity if it's not in Christ Jesus. Because if we find ourselves constantly struggling with feelings of condemnation, guilt, shame, and the weight of those things, then we have forgotten that at least primarily in our lives, we have been forgiven and absolved of breaking God's law. And when God looks at us, it's with a smile. That we're God's children. So this has the power to set us free from many things. Mom guilt. It has the power to set moms free from the mom guilt of how good they're doing based on comparisons with others and what articles online should or should not be doing. Or even yelling at your kids. Dad guilt. Like every time a dad fails and he hears and the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon in the back of his head. <laughs> like, yeah, like maybe you need to be spending more time with your sons and daughters. Uh, but don't forget first off that you're a son. You've been set free. You're not condemned anymore. Insta-guilt. I struggle with insta-guilt. That's when you go on Instagram and you're like, my friends have been on the 22nd vacation in the last three months. Like, and, and I took my kids to McDonald's this week. Like, like, I'm, I, like my life is not going as far as it should have been at this point. Maybe. But you're not condemned by God. You've been set free. Worker school guilt. The person that I hate has been promoted over me. Like it obviously points to my, my deep insecurities and how I'm weak. But God doesn't condemn you. Why are you condemning yourself when God won't? You've been set free. Guilt from knowing that we've truly messed up. Because we do. Even as Christians. We, we have times where we sin against others and we say, I have deeply messed up. Uh, in, the, in the words of Arrested Development, I've made a huge mistake. Like, um, and like, it's true, like in those times, like the spirit might be guiding us to apologize or, or to do things to show our love or our contrition. But in the midst of all of that, we are still accepted as sons. We are still accepted as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, still. Sometimes we just feel guilty. Like maybe just chronically, you're like, I should have done this better. 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 Uh, you need to memorize this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And feelings of worthlessness. And, and I'm going to touch on a delicate subject. If any of you struggle with depression or suicidal thoughts, first and foremost, you need to tell somebody if you haven't. And you need to seek help. But I think before you consider any actions, you should also consider the depth of God's love for you. 
that even if you can't see him or feel him, God has wrapped his arms around you and has said, you are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for you. That is what this passage is about. Now, here's how God did it. Christ died for your sake. This is in verse three. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And so in our, in our sinful flesh, we find that we are unable to keep God's law. And in fact, that there's just something in us that every time we see what God's law says, we go in the absolute opposite direction and we disobey it. But this says that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. So first what this means, it doesn't mean that he just looked like he was human, but it was really like a hologram or like it wasn't really Jesus. Um, magic trick uh, it is that, yeah, he was human. He took on the likeness of sinful flesh. So when, if you and Jesus were to pick up the same rock, you would both feel the same grittiness in your hands. Uh, when you took a drink of water, like both us and Jesus, we had the, both, the same experience of quenching thirst. When someone emotionally hurt Jesus, it hurt the same way that it hurts us. When someone physically hurt Jesus, it hurts the same way when we're physically hurt. But it was in the likeness of sinful flesh because Jesus never sinned. And that is astonishing. He never fantasized about another person. Ever, ever, 33 years on earth, ever. Like, most of us are out by puberty. We're like, we're out most all. Um, like, um, like, Jesus never took God's name in vain. When he was still under authority of Mary, he never disobeyed her. Ever. Now, most of us are out by the age of two. Like, that, that sucks. Um, like, People gave to Jesus' ministry all the time, and he never took a little something-something because he deserved it. He never took a coin. Jesus never coveted. He never looked at someone else and said, I wish I had what you had. Jesus was homeless, and he never thought that. Like, I don't know how many changes of clothes Jesus brought with him. The Bible suggests not many. Um, <laughs> like, and he didn't covet. God never, uh, Jesus never broke God's law. He was guiltless. And yet, in verse three, it says that, God bless you. In verse, in verse three, it says that he condemned sin in the flesh. And so in this, it's saying, somehow the perfect Jesus took our flesh and condemned our flesh that wants to do sin inside of him. So even though we're still dealing with the effects that we keep wanting to break God's law, at the same time, Jesus has already died for it and it's been crucified with him. So then we receive the benefit of his goodness, but then he receives the punishment for our failures. And when we're in Christ Jesus, our flesh has already been punished. If you're familiar with the term, there's something called double jeopardy, which is the prosecution of a person twice for the same offense. Because Jesus killed our sin and his own body, and because we're united with Jesus, 
God will not punish our sins divinely twice. Now, if you do crazy things, like you're going to face consequences in this world. Like you can't say, great, like I've already been punished through Jesus, so I'm going to go shoplift right now. It's not how it works. But what it does mean is there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. God will not try the same sin twice. And because of this, Christian, we must be very careful not to condemn others. And I'm not, I'm not even going into the area where you're like, but that person committed a crime against me or it was a heinous act. This has ramifications there as well. But I'm just talking about the times that we enter into a room and we make snap condemnations of people um, based on what they look like. I do that. I'm sure you do too. That person looks weird. I won't talk to them. Judgment, sentencing. Uh, I don't like that person's tone. Judgment. They must be a jerk and I won't be friendly towards them. Um, That person cut me off intentionally. Judgment. I'm going to cut them off. (laughs) Sentencing. We as Christians must be very careful not to condemn because first off, those people are made in the image of God and there is weight and dignity to their humanity. But we also want them to know Christ so that they would experience no condemnation. And then we definitely should not be condemning someone, judging and sentencing them if they're in Christ. Because we are doing what God himself won't do for that person. So if we judge another Christian and then sentence them in some way, we are doing what God won't. And God found it fitting that one person should be crucified for their sins. There is no need to crucify a second person. When we condemn others, we are crucifying two people for the sins of one. Jesus has already been crucified for their sins and for ours. And we are called not to condemn them because of that great love that we have in Christ Jesus. And so we see that we've forsaken the law, but that we are loved for Christ's sake and that he died for ours. But then we also see in verse four that we are to live for his sake. And and you might ask, well, how can we do that if we can't even keep God's holy law? And the answer is, you're right. We can't keep the law unless we walk by the spirit. So let's look at verse four. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So at this point, you might be saying, wait a minute, we've spent the whole book of Romans the last few months saying, you can't keep the law, you can't keep the law, you can't keep the law. And now it's like, oh, but you can keep the law. Like, it's like that math teacher in fifth grade that tells you there's no such thing as negative numbers. And then eighth grade, they're like, guess what? There's negative numbers. (laughs) Like, and so here's what's going on. Paul isn't presenting a double standard, but he's being honest that truly we cannot keep the law ourselves. We cannot do that on our own power. But God did not just put us in Christ Jesus. He didn't just crucify and kill our sins. He also gave us his spirit. And the reason that he did that was so that we would look like Jesus. Like family members look like each other. God is not content to just say, okay, you're forgiven, but I don't want to have have anything to do with you. That personal God who personally saved you is also personally with you every single moment. And he's working with you because he wants you to look more and more like Jesus in your words and your actions. 
And the, the mystery of the gospel, part of it anyway, is that you've been given something that you didn't have before you were a Christian. If you were in Christ Jesus, you've been given the Holy Spirit and the ability to keep the law when you walk in the Spirit. We're going to look at that more like technically next week. But what we're going to look at right now is this verse in Jeremiah where God delivered his promise that he would do this. This is hundreds of years before Jesus came. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. See how he says that praying his law within us is the same as praying his spirit within us. And I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Like in Christ, we've already received the benefit that God has forgiven our iniquity. And now he has given us his spirit. And the main thing for us to remember here is when you fail, there's already no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. But when you feel the urge to follow God's law, when you see God's law and you see his call to follow it, he doesn't just tell you to do that on your own power. That would be heresy. And you wouldn't be able to do it. But because he gave you his spirit, not only does he give you the power to follow him, but he also says, I am doing this for your good. I haven't left you. I'm still walking with you. You are my people. I made you individually part of my people. And I'm with you always to the very end of your life and the very end of the age because you are in Christ Jesus and you have his spirit. And so the beauty of the good news is that we've been, we have forsaken the law, but for the sake of Christ, we have been forgiven, absolved, and given his spirit. And we rejoice because no guilt can hold a candle to the freedom given to us in Christ. And there is nothing that compares to knowing his love and walking with the spirit that he's put within us. Let's pray. Lord, give us a great knowledge of your love. If there are people here who don't know you, would say, I'm not a Christian. I pray that like with them right now, that they would come to Christ. Um, and I pray God for the Christian here who has been a Christian for X amount of years and is feeling tired and has forgotten joy, I pray that you would give them joy. And for those that are experiencing great senses of condemnation and guilt in their life, I pray that you would release them in Christ's name. Amen.